The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. We started on this theme uh, a while back, which is the Jewish obsession with food. And uh, as we're eat, eating, and I, it actually, I wasn't planning on talking about this, but after eight days of Passover, I counted up, there was, there's technically 18 obligatory meals over the eight days. Um, that means that it's a mitzvah to eat. You have to eat, you're supposed to have, you're supposed to wash and have bread. Not bread, but matzah in this case. All right, so, and then this past week's parsha was parsha Shmini, which deals with all the laws of kosher in minute details, minutia. So I wanted to um, address that in the context, meaning why we're so obsessed with food. And it's, it's fascinating because if you look in almost every place in the Torah where you know, it's, it's a new beginning, so to speak, this is one of the first mitzvahs. This whole kosher laws is right after, pretty much right after they got the Torah. Like one of the first laws is kosher. If you go back to the beginning of Genesis, what was the first conversation between God and Adam? It was about food, what not to eat, okay? Or actually what to eat. And both, what to eat and what not to eat. So, that, so clearly, there's this obsession um, with food. With every beginning, we find uh, even going out of Egypt, the first mitzvah was eating the Paschal lamb, baking matzah. Our, the whole religion seems to be revolve around food. So we make a joke about it. That's how it survived all these years. <laughs> yes, right. So we make a joke out of it, but in essence. It's not a joke. It's it's food plays a very big role clearly, and the question is why. There's clearly something going on. It's not just uh, you know we like food, which is a good thing, but there's something more to it. So so even if you go through the kosher laws here, um, at the end, meaning meaning on the surface, and I don't think I know Rambam here. Unfortunately, it's not my manly, but but a lot of people. And this is actually a um. I have to give a disclaimer, as you know, I'm, I'm in the kosher business also. So, uh, but the one of the things I'm learning in the kosher business, it's a, an amazing industry, in the sense of it, it's grown to the to the extent that it really has nothing to do even with Jews anymore. It's a billion-dollar industry in the United States today and, and internationally. I just finished reading a book, which I recommend highly if, you, if you're interested in this topic. It's called Kosher USA. Is it's written by a historian, not a it's Jewish, but not um, a religious guy who is an ap- academic, just tracing the history of kosher in the United States from the early 1900s. Amazing uh, book, everything's documented, but showing it starts from Coke, which Coke became kosher in the 20s. It's just an amazing thing if you think about it. one of the biggest, like, the national drink of our country. Um, and he goes through all the politics of it and um, how, why it's so popular. But in essence, we started this. The, the, one of the reasons I understand today in the industry is why it's so popular is not for Jews. Very, there's not that many Jews keeping kosher. But every company, I mean, some, I have clients, Exxon, I mean, Chevron, we're talking about multinational companies that all want, a, they want kosher certification. So it has a lot to do with, we live in this crazy world and everything, I think the more certifications you put on your product today, <laughs> People like it. They don't care what it means. They don't really know what it means. Most people have no clue what kosher means. Um, they think kosher is about healthy, which clearly anyone who grew up uh, keeping kosher knows that <laughs> the many kosher foods are not healthy. <laughs> and you have grievances, and uh, you know what grievances is? Mm. It's, uh, it's you, yeah, you take yeah. the chicken fat right. and you just fry it up. It comes like crispy. Just pure chicken fat. So yeah, but what's left from it is how can you make kugel without it? What? Uh, without the chicken? Schmaltz? Yeah, but no one does it I mean, uh, anymore. I mean, I don't know, maybe. Ah. So they, they still sell chicken schmaltz in all the yeah. supermarkets. I'm not sure why. Who buys it? People actually buy that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll be back in about five minutes or less. So the, the issue, yeah, I'm saying is that clearly kosher is not about being healthy. Although Maimonides does say that, the Rambam, um, when discussing kosher, thank you, does talk about the, the health benefits, that it's good for your body, etc., kosher diet. Now, there is, listen, I'm not saying there are no um, benefits to keeping kosher. There is, to a certain extent. I mean, for example, uh, animals-wise, 
which is also in this week's parish, the laws of trefa, meaning you can have, we don't eat roadkill or any animal that's terminally ill is not considered kosher. Even if it's a kosher species, after you slaughter, that's a big part of kosher slaughter, is they check the, the lungs and they, they go through many of the limbs, organs, internal organs, after it's slaughtered to make sure that the animal is healthy. Um, if, we, if it has any hole in any internal organ, it disqualifies it as kosher, which is, is there a health benefit to that? I'm assuming eating, a, you know, and I've seen many cancer-ridden animals after slaughter, especially here in the, in the Houston area, where I've, I've, I have done slaughter, and uh, because of the, I'm assuming it's because of the pollution, I have no idea, but, I mean, the lungs of these animals look pretty, pretty nasty. A green uh, mold on it, whatever. You don't want to know. Um, well, you're not eating local animals, so you don't have to worry. See, that's the problem with buying local. People think it's it's a benefit. You know, they have all these buy local. You don't want to buy local if you live in Houston. Um, but but the point is, so is that the fact that is kosher healthier? I I don't think so. The Ramam is the only one of the commentaries who explains kosher as related to your physical health. And everyone screams at him about it. All the other commentaries say it's it's a you know you see many non-Jews who are very healthy. They don't keep a kosher diet. So cl- clearly, keeping kosher has nothing to do with your health. And then it's also part of the myth is which is really what caused the reform movement to go to move away from kosher is because they claim listen it's, it was all about health. As 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 usual, the Torah doesn't apply any rationale. It doesn't give any reason for kosher really. Um, so it's what we call, according to many, it's a chok. It's just a one of these statutes, and we'll talk about the reasons maybe behind it. But the Torah doesn't describe reason. The reform movement claimed that it was for health reasons, and therefore they they said it's no longer relevant because you know it's then they didn't have refrigeration, and for example, swine it was trichinosis. You people would um, there was this parasite in in pigs that uh, caused some some type of uh, what's called trichinosis. They said, we, today we have refrigeration, it's no longer relevant. Um, so again, so the, clearly they were missing the point of kosher. The point of kosher is not health benefits. Um, maybe there are some health benefits to it. I don't know, you know, we drink wine on Shabbat, or whatever, maybe you can, and I'm sure there are people who dug up some health benefits, but generally speaking, it's a myth. Kosher has not, nothing to do with health. Um, kosher is also, as, as I get a lot as a rabbi, going into plants and things, where they think you're coming to bless it, you know, they they think they're paying you for my blessing. So I always tell them, listen, it's not, I'm not, you know, because they send me an email, Rabbi, can you come in to bless it today? Can you come in bless? So uh, I always tell them when I go, I say, okay, you know, it's not about blessing, it's just about the constituents, the ingredients. If you want me to bless it, I could do that, but you can't afford my, you know, my blessings cost a lot more <laughs> than you pay me for for kosher. So so it's not about we don't sprinkle holy water on it, we don't uh, bless it. Um, it's just basically about the guidelines that Torah gives for what um, food items are permitted and what's prohibited. Again, and health-wise, doesn't seem to have any effect. Um, if you go through all the laws as totality, listen, again, we don't eat bottom feeders, we don't eat seafood, which some say hey, bottom feeders are not good for you, but again, I, I don't know, I'm not a... Not a nutritionist. I don't know enough about it. But what's clear is... Shellfish are good for you. They are good? I can tell you that. It's good for your emotional health. (laughs) So we're going to talk about that. So so what's what's clear is also at the end of the parasha where it's dealing with the food laws. So it says like this. The Torah says, um, after it brings all these... goes through every species, almost, meaning in what the... uh, What's a kosher mammal? What's a kosher insect? What's a or not kosher insect? What's a kosher fish? Birds, everything. So I mean, again, intricately spending a lot of time on all this stuff. Torah then ends off like this. Um, two things. One is after the insects, it talks about not. E- it says besides the prohibition of eating something that's not kosher, which in itself is a negative prohibition. Torah again, then ends off saying al tishaksus nafshasechem. Do not make yourselves detestable or abominable. I mean, by eating these creepy, crawly, uh, swarming creatures that swarm. Okay, so which is that's an interesting. On an aside, another, a separate um, prohibition, which is there's a it is a negative prohibition in general. We're not supposed to do anything that's purely disgusting. And the Torah assumes eating uh, crickets or 
today that have chocolate-covered cockroaches is disgusting, and that in itself is a prohibition, besides that it's non-kosher. Okay, so that's just something to keep in mind. There's a lot of applications, that rule of not doing something which, which to make yourself detestable. Okay, we're not going to get into all the applications. For example, just another, that's the first one that comes to mind, is actually the, uh, the Talmud talks about there's a prohibition, is if you have to go to the bathroom, you're not allowed to hold it in. It's this, and it brings this verse, as an aside. It's an interesting, fascinating law, which there's a prohibition of holding it in. You gotta go, you gotta go. And it's because it's, it's detestable to not, to, you know, that's what, so, and so a lot of discussion about that. Um, but that's a side, that's a parenthetical point. But then the Torah continues, the end of the verse, it says, titamu bahem. And by the way, this is important because, interesting, like my kids who grew up never tasted seafood, you know, you go to the supermarket and you see, let's say, the crabs, uh, lobster in the tank. Like, they go, oh, how could anyone eat that? It's disgusting. Or see uh, shrimp or, but, you know, they never, uh, actually, it's funny because people who are not kosher and go kosher, they tell me the hardest thing they have is shrimp. One of the hardest things giving up. <laughs> no, it's lobster. Really? I don't know, I've heard shrimp. Like, a few people tell me, Rabbi, I'm ready to give up everything, but not shrimp. I gotta keep on eating my shrimp. So, and I never tasted it. To me, it is, in a certain sense, detestable. It looked detestable, but it could be after I tasted it. it, it I'll, uh, I won't say you that. You wouldn't like it, don't I wouldn't like it. But the point is that, that, so for my kids, really not the Jewish way. The Jewish way, we're not supposed to say, you know, if it's a moral law, let's say, um, I'm trying to think of a, you know, a sexual prohibition or whatever, incest. You're supposed to say, ah, that's disgusting. If something is a moral prohibition. So we are supposed to look at it. It's immoral, and therefore that's disgusting. But if, for example, in this, in these laws, in kosher laws, we're not supposed to say, oh, you know, uh, bacon, pork looks, dis- tastes disgusting, I, smell, I can't stand the smell. On the contrary, it's not a moral issue. There's nothing, r- you're supposed to say, listen, I love it. I would want to taste delicious, but Hashem said I can't do it. The Torah says I can't do it, so it's prohibited. That's really the philosophy, meaning when it comes to moral laws, yes, we're supposed to view those actions as detestable. When it comes to a chok like this of kosher, it's not immoral to eat something not kosher. There's nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, as we'll see, it could just be, uh, you know, some... It's the statute to separate us from the non-Jews. Really, you know, it's the... That's how some commentaries explain kosher. It's just an issue of God wanted to separate us as a people. So, as we know, eating together is a big part of social culture. So he wanted to sort of put us in a separate... You know, we have to go to our own restaurants. We have to buy, you know... Therefore, he made a kosher. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. Could have said that we should wear, uh, you know, pink nose, you know, clown nose to separate us. It just happened to do. He picked it with a food issue. That's that is according to some. So real. So there is no rhyme or reason. So you're not, you're not supposed to say, oh, it's disgusting. When I pass by Subway, I go, and I breathe it in, and I enjoy this. It's it's great. Whataburger. I drive by Whataburger. That's pretty. Actually, it smells pretty bad. Whataburger. <laughs> but I'm saying there's no obligation to detest it. On the contrary, there, there, I was. I would, I would love to try shrimp. I just can't do it because I'm a rabbi and it's in my contract. You got to keep kosher, right? So, so, so that's the, just the, just the philosophy of how we're supposed to look at it. But the Torah does give some hints clearly about the reasons behind it. Doesn't say clearly, but the Torah says like this at the end. The Torah says two things, two very important verses here. The Torah says, "Veloted tamu behem, you shall you shall not from the word tuma, um, which means unclean. You shall not make yourselves unclean with them." Then it may some bum and be defile yourselves. Okay, and we'll get back to that. It's a very important word there, as we'll see. Um, that, that word, tame. Well, let me just read the next verse, and I'll get back to that. The next verse says like this. And the next verse says, Ki Hashem Elokeichem, I am your God. V'hit kadashtem, and you shall sanctify yourselves. In the word kadosh, holy. V'hitem kadoshim, you shall be holy. Ki kadosh, because I am holy. And again, he repeats, V'lotu tamwet nafshoseichem, you shall not defile um, yourselves, your souls, with these creepy, crawly creatures. Okay? And he goes on again, uh, you shall be holy. I took you out of Egypt and to be your God. Shall, to be your God. Therefore you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay? So, so the Torah is telling us the reason why in kosher is because we're holy people. And what that means, why, what does that mean? How, because we're holy, we should only, we should have this special diet. That, what's the connection? Yes, so that's really the question here. It's not clear, but um, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I did the drasha on this at, at at dinner Friday night. Okay. 
and I went through the carnivores menu, you know, all, all the things you can eat. And the conclusion is, the bottom line is, because I said so. From yes, I, I, but Hashem is yes, saying exactly. That's what we're saying. That is on the surface. That would be the reason. But we want to we're gonna try but, to figure out a little more. But because it is by doing what Hashem said is part of our setting us ourselves apart. Yeah, so that is, so again, that is one reason, meaning, exactly, just keeping kosher sets ourselves, just, it's just, there's no rhyme or reason, it's just setting ourselves apart. So we could have worn clown noses, you could have said in the Torah, everyone should wear a red nose, and that would... Uh, but, but, e but eating is a much more basic... Yeah, I understand, right, true, but I'm just saying, but then there's, there's no rhyme or reason, like you're saying, why this, not that, why pig, and why not camel, right, etc. Right, so, so, that is not necessarily rhyme or reason. Okay, so, so, um, so there's a, there's a something. So that's one part. Of it. So, so again, you could look at is is kosher the what's the word I'm looking for the cause of the effect. Okay, meaning is it God wanted an effect of us being separate, Thank you. being holy, meaning so we should we shouldn't be like the other nations. We should have our own morals, etc. So therefore, He made us something. He picked a diet out of the book. You know, there's thousands of diets out there. He picked his diet in order to separate us. You can't eat in, in non-kosher restaurants. So this way, we're, we're, we'll be separate to a certain extent. Because as you're saying... We'd all be thinner if you'd pick the, pick the Atkins diet instead <laughs> yes, of this that's diet. True. <laughs> that's true. So, so that's one way of looking at it. So it's, it's not... It's not... Kosher is not the effect. Kosher is just a, a something that will keep us separate, that hopefully will have an effect of keeping us separate. But there's no rhyme or reason to kosher. There's nothing special about this diet, etc. That would be one way of looking at it. Or, there is something inherent to it, which the, the verses seem to imply, it, that the food itself keeps us holy for some reason. It's not just a separate issue. So there are some who say what you're saying. So we want to get a little deeper. So, uh, so Ron, what's going on? We need you. consultation in the hallway. No. I'll be right in. I'll be right Tell me insurance doesn't cover in the hallway. Yeah, yeah. Malpractice doesn't cover um, so, so the other important thing is which I want to get into. So there's there's a the the, the, the Gemara the Talmud says the, the play on words here. The Torah says shall not defile yourself. You'll become tummy. But the word nitmesem also has another meaning. Especially the Torah leaves out a letter here, the Aleph, which is from the word tummy, and it spells it differently. So the Talmud says it's coming to tell you something else. Nitmesem means literally the word timtum. Uh, is the Hebrew word for stuffed up, okay, stuffed, which is a very strange word, but not stuffed as in <laughs> food stuff, I mean, so I, it's sort of, the Talmud says that eating non-kosher stuffs up your heart, okay, whatever that means, so what I always, what I always called it, it's sort of like a spiritual cholesterol, um, just like today we know you eat foods and, you know, you, they look great, everything's great, and they could have an effect, nothing happens, you sound like you, you drop dead on the spot, but if you continue eating that diet, 20 years down the line, you're going to have problems, health problems, okay? Because, or 10 years later, five years later, depending on how old you are. Um, but the point is, right, so you, you, it's, it's, so just like there's a cholesterol we know today, that you look at something, it looks good, and you don't, can't tell, you know, that there's anything wrong with it, but eventually it has an effect on your body, your physical health, so too in spirituality, you have a similar concept, which is that you're eating this food, there's nothing, it looks great, life is great, but it has a spiritual effect on you, a spiritual effect on your soul, so to speak. So there's spiritual, there's physical cholesterol and the spiritual cholesterol. So I want to get into that a little, but just to, you know, I always try to find, see, for the skeptics among this, amongst us, so science, the science, that concept in science. So we, again, we have the analogy to cholesterol and other forms, other foods that are bad for you, but I found this a fascinating article reading on the plane and I knew I would be able to use it somewhere. So I realized today, amazing is I was able to find it again. So it's, a, it's an article from the Washington Post, which um, was published March 28th, actually last year, 2016. But it's the, the, the headline is, Eating Something Sweet Can Lead to a Romantic Date. But um, basically, I'll just read you a few quotes here. It says, um, eat something bitter, it can make you judgmental. Feeling love is all around, it can make even water taste sweeter. 
Not only do our emotions influence our perception of taste, but what we taste can also change how we feel, scientists have found. The tongue could be a window to the psyche, says Nancy Death, professor of psychology at Accidental College in Los Angeles, pointing to the growing number of studies that connect taste perception with emotions and even possi- possibly personality types. Even personality types. Um, among such recent studies, one suggests that tasting a sweet drink instead of water can make you feel more romantic and more inclined to go on a date. That people who are particularly sensitive to bitter taste are also m- more easily disgusted and that such people get more emotional, angry, and more fearful after watching an anger-inducing video than other people. The Washington Post is not a reliable source of anything. So, <laughs> this is true. If I look at, but he, they quote some studies, which I didn't look up yet, but I put it. It's like this. Imagine you've heard of a politician accepting bribes or a student stealing library books. How harshly would you judge the offender? According to a 2011 study, that may depend on what you've just tasted. Volunteers who had just taken a gulp of an extremely bitter herbal tonic judged various moral transgressions as far more serious than people drinking nothing but water. The findings suggest that judgments involving morality, for example, jury del- deliberations, opinions on s- socio-political issues, could potentially reflect and be swayed by what individuals eat and drink, said one of the study's authors, Natalie Kasinik, a professor of psychology at the City University of New York, in an email. 2014, a and a colleague conducted several experiments which they showed that tasting bitterness leads to aggression. Um, I have a study where they, 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 the study was after tasting of the grapefruit juice or water, students were asked to assess how they'd feel in certain situations. And if someone kicked the back of their chair repeatedly at the movies, what would they do? Okay, results showed that the bitter tasters would react with more hostility and irritation, imagining themselves threatening the annoying moving goer if he didn't stop, while water drinkers just ignored the bothersome behavior. So that should prove that the bitter drinkers are actually more rational. Because they should be angry. Yeah. Or they shouldn't be angry. That's why United is only serving water now on their flights. No, no, it's, okay, hey. it's interesting. Like, remember the old definition of a pessimist is actually closer to realism than optimists. That's always been proven time and time again. So interesting that I don't know if a bitter drinker may actually be more realistic but than someone that's so water drinker. Why are you saying you're putting a value on realism? No, like they, they've always talked about like objective numbers. Like uh, they will say something like uh, for a pessimist. Uh, they'll say, you know, what is the number of people that blah, blah, blah. And their numbers are always more accurate in general than optimists. So it's an interesting thing that our brains play with ourselves. But yeah, so, yeah, no, so, either way, so I don't know that that experiment proves one way yes, or the other. Okay, yeah, I don't, but my point is true. So my point is, but I feel free to eat your banana. <laughs> don't feel, don't hold back. You're so sorry. Don't have <laughs> Um, the today, the, right? my, the point I'm bringing from the study is that yeah. it seems, again, however reliable we have to... The food can affect food. your emotions. Exactly. Food can affect your psyche. Not only your emotions, it's your moral judgments, which is a fascinating thing. Meaning what you ate, if you're on a jury, they're saying what you ate that morning before you came to jury duty can affect how you'll decide the case. Uh, the moral, your moral judgment of that person, which is, to me, as in, again, I don't know if they really... I don't know how reliable this is, but... Right. but so people on the jury should only eat the blandest of foods. Maybe. No, on the contrary, maybe. Like he's saying, if it makes you more of a realist, you need to... You should eat bitter tonic before you go, depending on if you're conservative, you know, how, what, what you want to do to the person. But the point is that... I'm just showing you that science seems to be implying, to some extent, that what you eat can affect your moral judgments. Just uh, is, which is really what we're saying here, as far as kosher is concerned. Which, no, it's meaning just on the surface. If you say that, you know, just the Gemara says it, it sounds strange. But it seems to be implying a similar concept in science. That's all I'm pointing out. Which is why they point out that the, the, the birds, for example, none of the birds that are available to us are birds of prey. Yes, yeah, so that's something else, right. I'm, I'm saying that's a different thing, that uh, seems to be the Torah's kosher list of kosher birds are all non-prey, and the non-kosher birds are all birds of prey. They, and we'll talk about that. Yes, some are shown and some authorities explain that you are what you eat, right? The concept that you are what you eat, and therefore you're gonna, you could take on some of the bad attributes 
of the animal you're eating. That's why we eat all the animals we eat are domesticated. Um, not, you know, the mammals we eat are also, you know, very docile. If you think about the kosher mammals, they're all docile animals who only eat grass. They don't eat, they don't attack other animals, which is an interesting concept. Is that uh, true? Yeah. Yeah. Cows, cows, sheep, goats. They don't attack each other. Bulls, maybe. Well, that's a whole different area. Yeah, it's a mating. Uh, I'm saying they're not. They don't eat other. They don't eat. They're not carnivores. Right, 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 right. Saying so, meaning they don't hunt to kill. Okay, which is which is an interesting, interesting thing. Even there, the only non-domesticated animal that's kosher is a deer, and also deer really is very docile. Bambi, you know. Right, but the, at the end of so Noah, it is an interesting concept. Yes, period of course. Is it coincidence or? I mean, there's other rational explanations. We're supposed to afterwards to show our superiority. Well, but meaning, meaning in in non-kosher culture, they eat. All the, a lot of no, no, the, the, the rational explanation is dominion over no. the, I don't know if you want to No, I'm saying the, the, in other cultures, I'm saying they eat other, yes, the rational explanation is not to hunt, because you just raise them in your backyard. Yeah. No, no, from an agrarian superior, society, those are the animals you want. Other things. Because yes. they eat things that humans don't eat. Why should we be inferior to you? They mm -hmm. eat grass. I'm speaking from a different perspective. No, I understand. What I'm saying is we can't eat even roadkill, we can't eat... Meaning of the other, well, let's say, but you know, do you want to eat uh, bear meat, camel meat, or horse meat? Can't eat that. Horses are also raised. Yes, we don't eat horse meat. If we really, like really, donkeys. really, they had donkeys. They were raising donkeys. They raised horses, but they couldn't eat them. So As opposed to an Arab culture, they do eat um, horse meat. I don't think any. You know, in, in other cultures any, within the Middle East, I don't think any Orthodox rabbis are vegetarian. Yes, I yes, 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 Rabbi Gelman. Rabbi, my rabbi is, is a vegetarian. Oh, recent, it's a recent. Oh, it's not so recent anymore. Yeah, years. He did not grow up as a vegetarian. He was with his father. Even more, not okay, eating so prey. So, so this is a this is just basically sources trying to explain the rationale for kosher. Um, so again, like we quoted, the verses seem to imply something about making you holy. Is it just a chog? Is it just separation? Like we said, so far we only quoted we quoted two reasons. The Rambam says it's for literal health benefits, which everyone debunks and says that doesn't make any sense because there are many healthy non-Jews out there. And um, there are um, many Jews who are not healthy, even though they keep kosher. So the, the fact, in the physical sense, almost everyone argues on the Rambam and says it's not going to, kosher is not about health benefits, per se. Um, the, although, again, the, it's interesting, the world at large today, I would say, in the kosher industry, believes that kosher is healthier. But that's good for us, because we make more money on kosher. But, uh, but it's but I, I personally don't necessarily believe so. Um, now, the, so again, we quoted the verses which seem to imply somehow kosher diet keeps us holy. Again, is that a cause or an effect? It's not clear. And what that means, what, what is, how does that make us holy? So we're going to skip the part of coming closer to God. We'll get down to the spiritual health. So let's read from the bottom, in the bottom paragraph, part B. It says like this, the reason for the laws of Kashrut, says this is a Kliyakar who lived uh, not so, probably a hundred years ago, something like that, two hundred years ago. The reason for the laws of Kashrut is not for physical health benefits as the Rambam, Ramban, he quotes Ramban, but it's also Rambam, maybe it is Ramban. We see that non-Jews eat non-kosher foods and are healthy, as we just said. Rather, their purpose is for the well-being of the soul. Non-kosher foods remove the spirit of purity and holiness and create a blockage in the intelligence and cause cruelty. I don't think intelligence means... The word is das. It doesn't mean you're less intelligent. It means in our, um, whatever that means, in our, uh, uh, <laughs> let's see what the Hebrew is here. I'm reading the Hebrew. It means in your, in your thinking process for spiritual matters. Okay, you don't mean your IQ goes down because you don't keep a kosher diet. And they cause cruelty is what, uh, Nada was mentioning before, it can have an effect on your attributes. Okay? This only, he says, this only helps them, meaning um, Israel, for they, for they live, for, meaning them, meaning Jewish people, opposed to non-Jews, because they will live in the world to come. Meaning, because the question is, if it's a good diet, so why does God only give it to Jews and not to the rest of the world? Right? If this diet is beneficial, either your physical health has another proof that the Ramban was wrong, is because if it's beneficially health, God only wants Jews to be healthy and not non-Jews. That doesn't make sense. That's number one. Number two is, um, 
um, number two, but number two is uh, why. I was going to say. Okay, but the point is, so so clearly, it's not about being beneficial to your physical health. So if it has to do with your spiritual health, which as Jewish people, we God wants us to be on a different, be holy, so to speak, whatever that means, quote unquote, from this verse about kosher. So that makes sense that it was only given to Jews, because again, if there's a a benefit, if it's a physical benefit, then when God is not discriminatory. That's the other thing I wanted to say, is that the Torah is not a, a health book. It's not telling us. If it's all about health, we don't find anywhere else in the Torah. The Torah, there is a mitzvah to be healthy, yes. But the Torah doesn't get into which diet is good for you know, and what, you know, don't smoke. The Torah doesn't tell you specifics. The Torah is not a health manual. You don't find it anywhere else in the Torah. There is a general mitzvah. You need to keep your body in, in shape, etc., and be healthy. But the Torah doesn't get into the details. So to say that kosher is about health is a little, is, doesn't fit. Um, so that's what he says. This has only helped them, Israel. Because it's about spirituality, for they will live in the world to come, but for non-Jews, there is no purpose in this mitzvah. And that's why it's given to Jews, specifically. Because again, if the diet is beneficial, it should be given to everyone. So, so that's what he, he seems to be implying, and he doesn't describe what is this benefit, how is their spiritual benefit. So this is a medrash. Um, he goes on to say, on the, turn over the page, page 6, God said to the Jews, be careful that you do not make yourselves disgusting. As we mentioned before, there's a prohibition for a Jew to do anything that's disgusting. It's not limited to kosher. It happens to be here in the context of creepy, crawly creatures of eating chocolate-covered cockroaches. But, but um, the prohibition is a general prohibition. As a Jew, we don't do things which make us disgusting. How that term is defined is to be determined, or was determined. Um, but but there's, like I said, there's a lot of applications to that um, prohibition. Another prohibition besides not eating it, um, besides it's prohibited to eat the food, you violate this other prohibition, as we're saying. Um, King David said, God's ways are perfect. The word, of, the word of God has been perfected in order to perfect his creations. Rebbe said, what difference does it make to God if the Jews eat with proper slaughtering, if they tear open the neck, eat? Uh, know that the only purpose of the commandment of slaughtering was to perfect the Jewish people. Um, so here, it seems to, this matter seems to be implying that it has to do with um, humane aspects, which is the whole different separate focus on kosher, which is the way we slaughter things, happens to be, and, and this science, interestingly enough, even though, um, I don't know if you saw yesterday, Le Pen in France said she will have, she's going to ban all ritual slaughter um, um, in France. She said it at a public school yesterday or something. Her, her goal is really for, she claims, is of course, just, she mentioned halal specifically, not, she didn't mention shrita, but she did say all ritual slaughter. Um, so, interestingly enough, as we know, throughout history, there has been something that um, almost every country we lived in, in a certain sense, has tried to ban um, shechita, the way we slaughter it. But what's amazing is, and if you read any books of real matters, not PETA books, um, with even PETA now has come around to a certain extent, believe it or not. Um, but but uh, some of the biggest animal scientists today, uh, specifically uh, her, the autistic woman, who made a movie about her life recently, She's just on NPR. What's her name? Um. This amazing woman who's autistic, and she she's the biggest expert in the world today on animal uh, cruelty, etc. And she basically agrees that shechita is the most humane way to slaughter an animal. Um, she's, she's actually pro-shechita. It means interesting. She goes around. She helps slaughterhouses set up a slaughter in a way that's uh, a kosher slaughterhouse. She's not Jewish. You know, is this a Temple Grand? Yeah, Temple Grand. Yeah. If you, if you ever. It's somewhere in Colorado. She's an American professor of animal science at Colorado State University. University. Amazing woman. They, they made a movie about her life. I would suggest Amazing Woman. She's autistic and she's one of the biggest experts in this field. She connects with animals because of, I'm assuming, somehow because of her autism. And uh, she, so, but, but she has many articles, uh, hundreds of articles, showing how Shrita is the most humane way. Um, of slaughtering an animal, a lot would better it, than. But would it make any difference for halacha if it were to be proven, you know, in ten, twenty, fifty years that in fact there are other of ways? Not. Right, it wouldn't change. Yes, but the point the point is so what what this medrash seems to be implying is that part of the kosher laws is to make sure we do things properly where it doesn't affect us. Meaning, I, 
everyone knows if you're, you know, a butcher, not a, a slaughter, and you're, you know, you're work in a slaughterhouse, it has an effect on you. So you're killing, you're killing animals daily, and I, I've done it. So it, it clearly, you're, you're, you're full of blood, you know what I mean? So there is, it can have an effect, the way you kill the animal, and the way he knows you have to realize. Even though we do, we're not vegetarians, we're not vegans, as Jews, but how we treat animals, yeah, I'm talking about halakhically, the Torah doesn't a say you should... Yes, Jews are not, a lot of and don't like religious rabbis. Yes, true. Are vegetarians. Yes, a lot of them also steal, and a lot of them. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean we're talking about from the Torah viewpoint. What is the Torah's philosophy as far as being vegan and vegetarian? The Torah allows us to 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 be carnivores. So the, my point is so so, but with certain restraints in how to be humane when you're doing that. Those we don't, uh, etc. So that, that's what he's, this matter seems to be implying. That's part of it. But uh, um, then he goes on to say, okay, there's a lot more of the same. Everything's forbidden. Okay. So Rashi, there's interesting. The Talmud, this is the Talmud I mentioned before, number four. Talmud says it was taught by the school of Rabbi Shemal, sin blocks up a person's heart. As it states, do not contaminate yourselves through eating them. Shratzim, which are the creepy calling mm -hmm. creatures, lest you become contaminated through them. Do not read it as contaminated, um, uh, meaning tuma, but mitamtem, rather blocked up. Okay, so it's a play on words because the, the Torah doesn't put an aleph. And if you look at the Hebrew, the word tuma is usually spelled, tame is spelled with an aleph. Mm -hmm. Here the Torah leaves out the aleph, so the, so the Talmud is saying it really means, it's a spill, like we're saying, it blocks your soul somehow, some spiritual cholesterol. Um, so, if you skip down, then Rashi explains, blocks up, seals and closes it from any wisdom. Again, it doesn't mean wisdom as in wisdom, it means spiritual wisdom. Um, so now, the other thing is, as we're saying, so there's other damages, and we'll, we'll get, maybe we'll get back to this, but I want to I just approach this from a whole different perspective. So there is, and then there's other sources, as we'll see, discuss how somehow this, if you do not keep this diet, it damages your, again, your spirituality for future. So much so that the, we discussed this here a long time ago in the past, that um, the famous story in the Torah where Moshe, when slowing down the Nile, Moses' sister, the, as we know, the famous story, the, the princess of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter, took, saved him, rescued him, and she tried nursing him, but he refused to nurse from her. And then it says she, she asked for a nursemaid, a Jewish nursemaid. The sister of Miriam came along and found a Jewish nursemaid, a wet nurse, whatever they're called. Is that in the Torah that she tried to nurse? Yeah. Well, no. it, says, it, says that, um, so. it says that Miriam came along and said, you right. want me to find the Jewish, right, 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 Jewish right. wet nurse. That part's in the Torah. So we're filling in the blanks, yes, as we usually do. I, I'm just pointing out yes. what's there and what's not there. So, uh, <coughs> yeah. so the, so the Talmud it. says that we see from here an interesting thing then why did Moshe not why did he need a Jewish nursemaid? Because um, because he didn't he since he was gonna speak with God, the he only prophet ever spoke. He could only him. have Jewish milk. Right, exactly. Kosher milk. Kosher Jewish, Jewish milk. Kosher milk. Kosher so milk. the point is so that so what's interesting is really there's not a problem of kosher. Because milk if it's coming from a Jewish from a mother, it's kosher. It's just that again, it has this aspect, the fascinating, it's a science, you know, obviously not science, but I'm saying a spiritual science, which is that just as we know, like we're saying, there's foods that are harmful to your body. There are foods that are automatically harmful, so if the, if the woman ate non-kosher, even a Jewish woman ate non-kosher, so technologically there's really nothing wrong with baby nurse. Let's say the doctor says she has to eat uh, cheeseburger <coughs> for protein, okay? So the halacha says, really, it's kosher. Mother's milk is always kosher. But since there's non-kosher food in that milk, so it says the mother should not nurse her child after she ate the non-kosher food because it can have a spiritual effect of harm later on in life in the child. So it's fascinating. That's how far we take this in a literal sense, um, this, again, this spiritual harmful effect that if a woman, for whatever reason, ate non-kosher, she shouldn't nurse her child. Until she, until Yossi, do do rabbis actually use like a scientific method by saying no. that people? Uh, pe never. One one might say, yes. you know, if you ate unkosher food, then something that they could have seen in that individual to somehow somehow give proof that the soul has been affected. 
they would have documented some change in that person. And likewise, the opposite. If they had not been kosher, but then all of a sudden became kosher, they would somehow again see some kind of change that they could describe. Yes. And so, so the question is, have they seen those listen, changes? There's no scientific studies. Right. But, yeah. but I will tell you, for example, I mean, again, you know, we can't really figure this stuff out, but there is, even today, you know, you have a lot of, uh, it could be just a rationale, you have people leaving orthodoxy and people, you know, so one of the things they say is because we have, you know, so much in today's, in the food industry, we're eating so much today, where it's almost impossible to keep on top of everything. You know, even things that have a kosher symbol, but they, they're getting 5,000 ingredients from right. all over the world, and, you know, you have no from China, which you have no idea what's in there. And that is why you have more people who are not, people are not as spiritual today. It's an okay. irrational that contemporary rabbis have used in the last 30, 50 years. You know. But are we less spiritual today than we were? Is that the... the, the that's what they're implying, yes. Meaning, meaning no, I'm saying society, there's no question, as you mentioned before, the, in today's society, Jewish society, there are much less people who consider themselves religious, and there are a lot more people who... Right, I don't know if that's yes, true. That's for sure. I mean, really? compared to uh, Europe and Russia and, and before the revolution, I mean, you know, before communism, Poland, where my father grew up, 95% of society was no, I understand kosher and Shabbos. Shabbos. You know, there could be sociological explanations, of yes, course, and all that. Yes, and you asked me if anyone, so, so one of the observations is it's because of the kosher issue that that's why s Jewish society at large today you have all these people becoming uh, atheists and... But I mean, uh, do you believe the facts uh, that you just presented? Don't no, no, about, about the ingredients being oh, questionable. Oh, for sure. Listen, in, in the old days, you ate something, you knew what was in it. You there did? No question. That's yeah, my question. Because it, it, was, it was no chemicals, there was no preservatives, no... It didn't, it came from local, it was locally grown, they didn't, weren't importing, you know, stuff oh, So if places. someone had, that's my so question. today when you walk into any product you buy, unless you, you're... If you had a locally grown... All yeah, non, much easier to, non to chemical, yeah. you know, because there are a lot of lot of diets now that yes. allow for that. So, are you saying that those foods are also potentially spiritually contaminating, possibly? Oh, well, local. I'm saying is local is better. I'm not talking about the kosher part. I'm talking about just locally grown, you know, non, you know, poultry meat that is not without antibiotics and not so with any chemicals. Yeah. So you're, I'm going back to the old days. Yeah. You would then have those types of ingredients again today. Are they also potentially spiritually contaminated? If they're not kosher. If they're not kosher. Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course. So it's interesting. It's the same ingredients. No, but I'm saying it's keeping on time because we live in such an industrial society. What I'm saying is I'm in the kosher industry. I work yeah. You buy one, literally one product off the shelf, a simple product. There's there's 25 ingredients. You have no idea what they are. I, when I go into factory, I'm clueless. You know, they tell me, okay, this, they send me a list of their constituents to certify the product. And let's say I would have a, 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 you know, a PhD in chemistry. I would know. There's no way I have to have a chemist who works for me because I have no way of knowing what the heck is in this product. Right, so, and I'm sure there are many kosher certifiers who really don't know what's in the product. Especially if it comes from China, where in China there's no, you know, at least in America, there are, you know, there's regulations on FDA and etc. If you're getting something from China or Venezuela, where there's zero regular, Mexico for that matter, there's zero regulation. So we can, you have no idea what, if what they're saying is in China, everything is recycled. There's no waste in that country. So I heard from people in the industry and you get something from China, you buy peeled garlic, you have no idea, just peeled garlic, it says garlic, and that's all it says. There could be seven different sprays on it of things that you would never put in your mouth. <laughs> Forget about kosher. So no, China is known, meaning you can't trust them, it's a cultural thing, what they say, and there's zero regulation, everything gets put back in, reprocessed. So I'm just giving that as an example. So, so with all our great kosher certifiers and industries today, and everything has a kosher symbol on it, that's part of the problem. Meaning, just look at Pesach. When I was growing up, we, we, nothing processed was in the house. Pesach, they didn't exist. Today, like you're saying, you walk into any supermarket, you can buy bread for Pesach, pasta, cake. I mean, like, there's nothing, you know, seven layer cake. There's nothing, you can go through a whole Pesach not even knowing it's Pesach. You can get everything. You go to these hotels, cruises for Pesach. I mean, they have, <laughs> right? So, so clearly, times have changed, and therefore the whole, we don't so know what we're ingesting. 
Jewish Adams, you're not Jewish. You have no idea what's going into your body unless, you, like you're saying, you just grow your stuff in your backyard and live on a farm. That's the only way you'll know. So you mentioned that, <coughs> that had Moses required a wet nurse so that he wouldn't basically be contaminated by someone who ate non-kosher and, and presented his milk. At what age do we start requiring that question, the so child exactly. so it's a very uh, good point. So make really, his own eating decisions in order to be pure? So that's a great question. So really, um, we, there's no, until a child's bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, they have no obligation for mitzvah. So they can go to Whataburger or McDonald's. There's really they no problem. Shrimp and... Shrimp, whatever they want. There's no. really no problem does, does whatsoever. Does the parents have an obligation? But, but, but the rabbis, of course, uh, based on the verse, Rabbi said, you can't, if your child's eating a cheeseburger, found it in the backyard, that's fine. The maid brought him a cheeseburger. You have, no, you, you have no obligation to stop. But, it's two things. You can't feed them non-kosher. That's one aspect. So that's, I think that's only rabbinic. Um, you can't feed them non-kosher. Um, if they're eating it, that's not your problem. But this, this, this is the other aspect that they bring. It's only, halachically, you didn't violate anything if they were eating a cheeseburger. They did nothing wrong until they're 13 years of age. One is the sun, the simple on the surface. Obviously, you can't tell them all of a sudden the 13 stop eating shrimp and cheeseburgers because it's not going to work. So obviously, you got to start before um, psychologically. That's number one. But the other reason is this reason we're saying right here. Since it's harmful for them spiritually, even though it's not prohibited technically because they're not bar bar mitzvah, so they have no obligation to keep anything in the Torah. Um, they're not liable for anything they do. But because it has a harmful effect on their spiritual future, that's the reason they should not be. They should be keeping kosher. Uh, this reason what we're but, saying. But, but, it, but the, the technically they didn't they, violate anything once. But, but keeping kosher for a pre-bar mitzvah is, is a duty that the parents have to the extent yes. that they can yes, control. Yes, right, exactly. It's not the child's obligation. Right. It's, the, it's the parent's obligation. Okay. Is there any just plain, the rabbis to say, instead of the soul being the reason, are there any rabbis that just, that's the way we're, we keep club Jewish? Yes, Jewish. I said that. You missed oh, I apologize. Okay. I said that. That's, no, then that's what Nader said. She yeah. said that explanation. I agree. It's Friday night. It's just like a, it's, there's no rhyme or reason. It's total chok. God wanted us separate. Instead of putting uh, red noses on us, he, you know, he said we're right. clown noses. He gave us the laws of kosher. This way we have to... I like that one. Yeah. That's a good one. It's <laughs> because I didn't say it. If I would have said that one, then you would have... I would have chilled out. So, so I want to just point, uh, finish off. I want to point out, so this is something much deeper here. More esoteric. I usually don't get into the esoteric. This is your favorite guy. He, he has a book, a book called World Who? Mask, Kiva Tats. <laughs> so he has, he has a number of fascinating books, uh, which um, I just recently discovered this piece. I was looking, because I had to speak on Shabbat about kosher, so I found this. Um, so he, he says a uh, fascinating thing. He doesn't bring sources here, so I can't really tell you where it's from, but it's, uh, it's very Kabbalistic um, stuff. So he, he says a fascinating thing. He says, again, clearly we're obsessed with food in the Torah, as we said here and then by with Adam and Eve and everywhere throughout the Torah every new beginning starts with food it's a very strange thing and this is one of the first mitzvahs is kosher and diet we're obsession with food Pesach is all about food every aspect in Judaism totally. so, he, so, so he goes into this aspect we discussed many times basics of Judaism which is the duality of the human being in other words, and someone mentioned by breakfast this morning that we're the only religion who is, is into food because as we know, Christianity and all the other religions say no, asceticism and not having a good time. We say no, we, you should drink, you should eat. Pleasure is great. We like pleasure. Okay? So it's, it has to do with this duality of, of the human being. Our mission in this world is to connect physical and the spiritual. They're very different than other religions. As, as also the Eastern religions, of course, are about asceticism, going up on a mountaintop, you know, living separate from the world. Judaism is about living in this world, being part of the physical, and elevating the physical, whether it's sex, food, uh, crew, whatever, whatever you're doing that can bring pleasure, um, nature, elevate that to a spiritual way. If it's done properly, we're not against it, we're for it. Sex is a, is a good thing in Judaism if it's done properly in the proper context. Okay, it becomes a mitzvah. It's the same thing with food. Food is, is, is a similar thing meaning in order for us to exist on the spiritual plane, our souls need food. Meaning, and he points out like this, this is an unbelievable thought I never realized. He says, if you look at the organs of the body, every organ has basically a single purpose. Okay, there's one purpose to organ. The mouth, 
he says has is an organ, one of the only organs that has two purposes. It has three functions, the mouth. The mouth has three functions. One is speaking. Okay, ENT is good for ENT, is good for business. There's, the mouth has three functions. E is speaking, um, eating, and kissing. Okay, those are the three functions of the mouth, if you think about it. Three things that the mouth does. And um, mouth breathing. Yeah, but that's, that's just, the ears going past. But you could say breathing too, I guess. I mean, it's just, it's not, I don't know if it's a function of the mouth. Really, it's not just a passage. I'm just, just going to let this slide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the ENT, the ENT is biting his tongue. Okay, so three functions. So what is the common denominator between those three functions, you think about? So the common, so it's really one function. The function is, he wants to say, is it's connector. Meaning, speaking is obviously communication. Okay, um, that's, you're connecting with other people. He's saying, again, eating is, like we're saying, is a connector in two senses. One is, it's connecting your soul to your body, meaning if someone fasts, as we know, your soul gets weaker, your, you get weaker. If you fa continue fasting, eventually you go into coma. And as the Palestinian prisoners are doing these days, they're on a hunger strike, and they continue for many more days. Um, so, so uh, the, right, so... I agree. So, um, so um, I want to leave now. So the the point is, tongue. so so right. So if you continue fasting, you eventually go into a coma. If you prolong your fast, eventually it'll be a permanent coma. So so the point is, the food is what what's holding your soul into in your body. In that sense, without nourishment, your soul leaves the body. Um, so it's a connector there. As we know more than that, food is also a connector in many other areas. Everyone knows, uh, you know, if you if you're want to do a business deal, it's always better to do it over lunch than in the boardroom. Because you do when you eat with people, somehow there's a it makes the connection more intimate. Okay, same thing with your your relationships. You know, you can't there's a limit to how much you can go uh, on a date, to how many times you can shoot pool, right? On a date, you have to eventually when the when the relationship progresses, you have to take the person to dinner, right? Um, meaning that progresses, that brings the relationship to the next level. Same thing with your wife. You know, it's taking your spouse out to dinner is a is a good thing. Food is a connector. That's very clear. In, in even in our in the secular world, halachically also, food is a connector. Um, food is is like for example zimun. The concept is if you're eating with three people, you have a special uh, zimun, right? If you eating with ten with a minion, you say alakena because the shechina comes down. Food is so important that if ten people are eating together and then you're saying grace after meal, you're saying benching, the shechina is there and you have to say the word alakena, just like a minion. It's like praying. Food is on the level of prayer. It's not, if you think about it, it's an unbelievable thing. So clearly, food is is a connector on, in the emotional sense in the secular world, and also we're saying in the spiritual sense. So food is a connector, and kissing is, is, a, is an amazing thing. Also, if you think about kissing, if someone, every culture has the concept of kissing to intimately <laughs> when you want to intimately connect with someone. Okay, right. If you think about it, it's a very strange thing. If someone would land on this world, an alien, and they you tell them what's the best way to connect with a person, you wouldn't think about using your mouth, um, putting your mouth on someone else's mouth as a connector to connect with that person. It's, it's absurd if you think about it, right? But it's clearly something natural that every culture in the world, the uh, tribes in, in you know, deep in Africa, have this concept of kissing someone to connect with them. So clearly it's something innate in human beings. So the mouth is a connector, whether you like it or not as an ENT. The three f the, these three functions of the mouth I have like a common so. denominator of being a connector. Um, so so there, this is just really, this is not about kosher per se, this is explaining the obsession with food. So there's something going on with eating that's much more important in general than, you know, than nutrition. Nutrition obviously is a part of it, but the other part is it somehow connects us with our souls, connects us with other human beings, um, etc. And that's not unique to Judaism. Right? Yes. But we're Correct. saying that's why the Torah is is taking this concept of food and bringing it to the next level. Where if since it's this connector on an emotional level, or you want whatever you want to call it, spiritual, emotional, whatever you want to call it, it has to be done just like anything with the proper tools. And God is telling us the pro the proper way to eat is this diet. Okay, now we may not understand that why this diet, why, why this, why only a cow and not a camel, and why etc. That we're not explaining. But the point is. God is giving us the tools, just like in sex. He's saying sex is a 
very spiritual thing if done in the proper context. Food is also very spiritual, but when done only in the proper, with the proper food in the proper context, which which would you know, explain somewhat of again when I explain the rationale for kosher, but the obsession with food and why um, food is so important in our in our religion. So that's what uh, um, it's it's a fascinating concept, I believe. Um, uh, again, we're not explaining the specific foods, but we're trusting God if He gave us His diet, that He understood that these were the food, this is the right food, and also this explains why we have, like we said, over Pesach there were 18 obligatory meals in an eight-day holiday, um, which sounds a little obsessive um, and overeating, right? So, and and every Shabbat, by the way, we have three meals. Every an obligation, as we discussed a few weeks ago, every Shabbat we have an obligation to eat three meals. So there's again, it's connecting us. Shabbat is about connecting with God. So somehow, even with food, it helps us connect with God. Again, I'm not saying I understand it, but clearly there's something much deeper going on here um, with our obsession with food and, so and uh, kosher, and connecting with kosher. Yeah. So if someone presents you to you a, a, a food that is not kosher, not certified, there's no hechsher, but there are three or four very organic, simple ingredients, not by Manischewitz, but uh, yes. it's non-kosher, not certified. But there's no ingredient, let's say, that is obviously mm. non-kosher. And then you give a Manischewitz box of 55, uh, of 55 ingredients that are half of them are from China, half from wherever. And but it's hechsher, right? It, there's a hechsher on it. So you have the rabbi. Let's say it's OU. Let's say whatever. Let's say it's accepted by 99% of Jews. And you have another one that has three ingredients that are raised on a farm. That are have a million cer- secular secular stamps on right. it that so say you're saying they're kosher ingredients. They're, they're, there's no, no meaning, meat. Meaning, right. yes, it's vegan. It's gluten free. It's if you know whatever. this is something. So if you're in the food industry, so you'll know that it doesn't always work. But you're right. If I know what in the industry, actually they call it, it's called a category one product ingredient, which means that if we there's a list in the kosher industry, it's called category ones. That means anything on this list does not need supervision, it's totally fine. And there are many things that you'd be shocked about that don't need kosher supervision. I, I would recommend you get a great app, the CRC Kosher app, it's free, and you can use it and it tells you, you just look up any product and tells you it doesn't need supervision. You walk into class, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't need any supervision. So there are many in category one ingredients, 100%. The, the only thing you need to know is, you know, this is in the industry, we don't publicize it because, uh, meaning you don't know there's another problem with this equipment. So since we're I understand, right. Meaning, so if it's processed on equipment that wasn't kosher, that could be a problem also. So, meaning, so you're not going to know that from the ingredients. We have to make sure if it's a company local. So, I'm, I'm going, I'm pushing. 100%, 100%, 100%. Meaning, there's no question if it's a choice between if let, you know, understand go. what are category one ingredients, I would eat that I'm any day over I'm trying to understand the Manischewitz. value of the soul versus the value of the human body. Oh, so that's something else. I'm if, actually, you if you're asking as far as kosher is concerned, I, know, I understand. Is I would pick the category one ingredient over if you the kosher server two, product with many other two pieces of beef, not kosher cow, slaughtered incorrectly, but raised in a completely green, non blah 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 mm-hmm. chemical environment, slaughtered incorrectly. Yes. Let's say they get the proper okay, cut yeah, of beef, yeah. and here, it's kosher, slaughtered, but eating terrible stuff, cheap yes. or garbage, yes. but it's certified slaughtered. You're okay? No, I'm okay with, I would only eat the slaughter. So the I'll question again is the balance between the, hu- the... No, no, I'll tell you why, because the human... Again, we have an obligation to keep healthy too. That's a separate issue. Just because something's kosher doesn't mean you should eat it. Right? Okay. If you're eating uh, crambos, <laughs> crambos... <laughs> right. No, crambos are those. The marshmallow Israeli, things, cookies. It's like, like a big blob of chocolate covered. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, so if you eat that, you know, you ever seen that? In the you eat that every day. Yeah, you eat that for three meals a day, which some kids do. <laughs> yeah. So that's a problem. We're not saying just because something's kosher is good for you. What we're saying is, right. at least as far as the spiritual aspect, it's taking, it's, it's, this part is taken care of. Now, what your diet should be, of course, like you said, maybe you should go on Atkins. Like you said, why don't God pick Atkins diet instead of this stuff? That would, might have been a lot better for us. Maybe not. I think it's, it's questionable. But but the point is, but as far as meaning, for me as a as a religious Jew, I trust God's diet more than some guy on the internet saying this is good for you, or some guy sure, sure. organic certification, which 
you know, between me and you, people in the industry know it's all farce. They're no, I, you know, I have this discussion so, all the time. Yeah, Should so I choose so Empire Chicken or the other types of chicken? Right. And Sometimes. Well, now what's Empire. amazing is now you can you can get some uh, Empire everything. have natural. No, not only Empire. I'm saying you can get anything you know, grass-fed, whatever you want. And we do. Kosher. But it's like three. It's like it's very bucks expensive, yes. and we get it shipped in right. two or three times right. a year. I get so it. First, I suggest you the amazing book. I just said it before you came. Called Kosher USA just came out on the a history of kosher, kosher conservative uh-huh. guy wrote it, it's amazing, kosher USA, so one of the, he has a whole two chapters on this question of kosher ethics, meaning uh, really there's a whole other issue, which after Abashkin that came about, you know, if you have kosher plants that are of kosher, everything according to halacha, but they're not, they're not being ethical to their employees, they're hiring illegals, right, right. etc., which is better, which is your question, really, yeah, yeah. besides the health, also organic, etc., yeah, so you have a whole thing with that, that they tried to sort of do that after Bashan didn't work. Um, um, the kosher industry didn't accept those ethical standards. So that's a separate issue. You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.